Ladies and gentlemen, the tiny DevOps guy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Tiny DevOps. I'm your host, Jonathan Hall, and today I have with me special guest, Joel, who is a software developer who works with Laravel teams uh, to help them to ship better software. Uh, welcome, Joel. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit more of an introduction? Tell us a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, I, thanks for having me. I um, I like that intro short and sweet, but it's also kind of vague. So I'll give you a little more detail. Um, currently, I, I work with different Laravel teams in a variety of roles. Some of it's hands-on, uh, some of it's more coaching and management and process automation and things like that. Uh, and then on the side of that, I also have been uh, dabbling with um, building some products to kind of educate, you know, for, for not all companies or people can work with us. Um, so some other resources that people that want to learn. So books and some courses are coming too. And where are you, by the way, Joel? I, I have a, quite an international uh, guest list as well as audience. Where are you coming okay. from? So I live near Milwaukee, Wisconsin in the U.S. And if you don't know where Milwaukee is, it's about a 90-minute drive north of Chicago. So most people know where Chicago is. But uh, but yeah, I work out of my house and have been here for quite a while. Do you normally work out of your house or is that a pandemic thing? That is a normal thing for me. Uh, I okay. briefly experimented with having an office outside of the home and uh, it had some advantages but it had more disadvantages so uh, when we got a slightly larger home and I could have a dedicated space here I've been here for the last 12 years now. I've heard you talk about uh, on your own podcast some practices you like to do and, and uh, I'd, I'd like to just have a discussion about mm -hmm. a particular scenario I remember you mentioning you said that you were handing off a project or preparing to hand off a project uh, I guess it was a client maybe you've been working with for several years and, and you were, I don't know, leaving the project or someone else mm -hmm. is taking over. Um, and, and you went into some details on uh, some of the things you do to hand over a project. Uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know if, if how much detail you want to go into in that particular story, but maybe you could talk sure. about uh, handing off a project. Yeah, this is something that happens from, from time to time and for various reasons. You know, sometimes it's it's client initiated, like they've uh, worked with us for a while and now they're going to hire some in-house people and we're handing it off to them. Or, or some, sometimes they uh, work with a marketing agency that says, oh yeah, we can do this uh, application stuff too. And so so uh, that's one reason. Other times we just don't have the availability or uh, we're, we're specializing and we want to kind of shed some, some other projects that don't fit within that specialization. So the way I think of it, in an ideal world, you kind of start the project with the mindset of, hey, at some point I'm going to hand this off and I want that handoff to be as seamless and pain-free as possible for both parties, for both me, the person handing it off, and for the, the agency or company that's going to be taking it over. I've experienced the uh, receiving end of that handoff in, in times when it's been not painless, it's been quite painful. Um, and so I, I don't want to do that to anybody else. I, it's it, The transition can already be a little stressful for the client. So I want to make that as smooth as possible. Now, when you talk about handoffs, I imagine this sort of the same pain can be experienced, even if it's not a handoff per se, but maybe you're, you're joining a new project. Like, mm -hmm. I, I mean, many of our listeners probably are not uh, freelancers are probably just okay. joining a team and they're excited to join a, a new team and start a new project. Uh, but they're going to have a lot of that same pain, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, would you agree? 
Yeah, it's it's a similar process for sure. Whether whether you're taking it over as a freelance person or you're joining something that's already in progress as a new team member. Yeah, very similar. Maybe just briefly to set the stage for mm-hmm. for, for the rest of the conversation. What are some of the biggest pains you've experienced in this situation that, that you're trying to overcome with the rest of this conversation? Yeah, the, the one that I think would be most applicable even within a company, you know, a team member joining is just lack of documentation, right? So, um, well, here, <laughs> I'm assuming you're going to at least have a repository of code and not just be handed like a, a, a CD-ROM or something with the, the source code <laughs> burned on it. But, um, well, here's the repo. And, you know, first thing, well, there's there's no readme or maybe it's like the default readme from whatever application framework they generated uh, their their code from and um so you're just you're like okay well where do i start and, and even if it's a project built in technology you're familiar with there are a hundred little decisions that if they're not captured in documentation are, are non-obvious to somebody joining the team so for example how do I set up my local environment? Like, are we using Docker or is it expected I have my own tooling to get set up? If I'm using Docker, is it just as simple as running a couple commands? What are those commands? Um, how do I seed a database? How do I run tests? How do, you know, all these different things, they're kind of obvious once you know them, but when you're coming in fresh, there's a lot to learn. And that that's the piece of it that <laughs> documentation can really help you get over that hump quickly. And and kind of a fun fun exercise I like to suggest. So let, let's just say um, I've gone through the work of creating that documentation. I will then usually have somebody else or my, myself again on a different machine follow the documentation as if that's the only knowledge I have. And usually even just that process, I'll have missed a step or two. There was something about my machine that was a little different from a different clean machine uh, and so that that is useful too to kind of test the documentation and that 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 manual process. So you've already started to answer this next question, um, but what are the specific things that you tend to do uh, to prepare for that handoff, or maybe mm-hmm. a new person joining the team, whatever, to to give that context to someone? Yeah, so so documentation is a big one, but it's it's not the only one, and and sometimes even. There, there's some areas to explore within documentation. So everything I just referred to is more project centric, like how do I make the code work? But there's other things too that are, are vital, especially um, if it's being handed off from company to company. Like what about the operational side of things? You know, where where is this application hosted? Who owns that account? Uh, what are the credentials to get access to that? So this is the sort of stuff that really doesn't belong in a repo's readme because it might be more privileged or sensitive information, but somebody should have a document somewhere that outlines it and that can be part of the handoff process. Um, so that's that's part of it. Another thing too that, that might fall under the umbrella of documentation is, is more like the business and process and architectural side of it. Not the mechanics of how the project works, but like why was a particular decision made? Uh, especially if something might be a little outside the norm, you know, why did we choose to do this? You know, what were the pros and cons and the things that ultimately led us to this decision? Because that's, you know, developers, they they come into something and if it doesn't immediately fit with their preference or mindset, well, we need to change that. You know, that's not right. Let's do it this other way. And so, um, you know, documenting some of those decisions can help somebody coming in and not only get up to speed more quickly with the code, but sort of with the the 
overarching decisions that drive the business needs for that code as well. When is the best time to do these things? Absolutely at the last minute when everybody is panicking. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it, it's uh, that, that was a nice softball question, but for sure, like <laughs> as you go, as as you're working on a project, um, that's so that's so true of many things, but when it's freshest in mind is the best time to document it. It's it's sometimes easy to just want to move on to the next thing or think, well, I'll come back and document that later. Or I've even been guilty of this. I'll kind of sketch out some documentation, but it's it's just an outline. And then even I'll come back to it the next week to fill it in. And I'm kind of thinking and I'm looking back through chat logs and through my notes and commits. And it, so it, as soon as possible, um, you know, with while you're doing things, while you're making the decisions, while you're adding the step, to the, the onboarding process while you're adding something to the code base, like try to do it as part of that process while it's happening. I, I've, I've been guilty of the exact same thing. I, like I'm going through a process I'm like, oh, the, I'll, I'll go back in a, in a day and update that. And that day never comes. Or if it does, then I forget what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah, I just had something recently. This was less of a documentation of something new that was added, but more of documentation of a troubleshooting step. So there was an issue in production that was having an impact on a fair number of users. And of course, you know, step one is to triage that and fix it. But then the immediate step two was to document it because this was actually something that happened like four years before. And I had a vague memory of it. I happened to, you know, to have been on the team at that time. And so that helped me, but I said, you know what, what helped me even more is if I had this in a document somewhere, troubleshooting steps, if this is happening, take a look at these four things. Um, so I created that document. It took me maybe 15 minutes after I was done, but I, I hope if that ever happens again, it'll save me a lot of stress in the moment. Uh, so that's another another form of documentation that really, really is handy when somebody new is coming on. That is the worst when you when you know you've solved a problem before, but you can't remember how. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I imagine most people listening can identify with what we're talking about and they can probably recognize, yes, I should do these things from day mm -hmm. one, but we don't. I mean, you and I have both admitted that we don't. Sure. Well, yeah. How do you overcome the, the tendency to ignore these things until it's too late? You know, I don't have a, a silver bullet or whatever to, to, to tell you, but just kind of in my own reflection, it's, it's sort of a combination of just like a general maturity of, um, you know, understanding the importance of these things mixed with the healthy dose of the pain of not having done it. And like those two things combined makes me more aware of the need and importance of it. Uh, something else, too, that, again, might apply a little bit more if you're independent and you're, you're attracting clients. But I've actually discovered it's, it's a little bit of a it can be a competitive advantage. It's not something like when when a customer needs a web app and they're shopping around, like I, I can assure you the last thing on their mind is, well, I wonder how well they're going to document their code or the processes like they don't they're not even educated enough generally to know that's a thing that's important. But in in the sales efforts and things, I, I will sometimes even make the joke. You know, one thing we pride ourselves on is making it easy to fire us <laughs> if need be, um, because clients have been through the pain of a handoff that doesn't go well. And so they know that's bad and they know they want to avoid that. I suspect that insight uh, extends to typical salaried employees as well. I mean, mm -hmm. in a little bit different way, 
but if you're working for a nine to five as regular salaried employee, uh, your boss doesn't want to worry about what happens when you leave. <laughs> no. Uh, and you know, maybe you get some, you can gain some short term job security by not documenting things and being the one guy who knows everything. Mm-hmm. But uh, you're not going to earn yourself a good recommendation when, whenever you leave. And your, your boss is going to have an animosity towards you if they know that this is the case. Yeah. Maybe they won't fire you right away, but they're going to be looking for a way to. So I, I think you know, just being a mature person in general is probably good advice, whether you're a freelance independent or working uh, as a regular employee. Yeah, I, you know, I, I joke job security is good, but you never want somebody to feel held hostage. And that's the only reason they're working with you, because that's not that's not a healthy work environment either. Do you have an example of a good experience uh, where this has gone well for you as somebody either taking over a new project or joining a team where this has gone well? I wish I had more good experiences of receiving it, but uh, <laughs> I, I can share some of handing it off because uh, we, sure. we are in the midst of one right now. And uh Maybe I'm a little biased, but I think it's going pretty well. And so the example it was a um, it was a mobile application, iOS Android app, and um, really really uh, good client relationship. Very happy with the client. Product is successful. Launch was great, but we, we sort of re- reached a point where we realized you know this isn't our core business, and there's only so many projects we can take on. So we just made a decision. You know, we're not going to do any more mobile development. And so we had that somewhat difficult conversation with the, the customer and even made some recommendations. And so going through that process of a handoff, um, there was even some surprise expressed by the, the new company. Like, wow, I, I don't, I've never come into a project that, that was this documented and not, not to toot my own horn or whatever, but part of it was because mobile development is, not our core competency. I mean, we, we did a good job, but it, it's not something we do at second nature. We were extra careful to document it. And then you have all these certificates and keys and profiles and things with, with different app store accounts and um, all the services, like we use Google Firebase. And so there was a lot of different things going on there to, to coordinate that. But we had a giant readme and it I almost thought it might be too much information, but no, they were very appreciative all the way from getting it set up to deploying it to like spinning up a release to, you know, all, all the different things. We just documented it and um, it, it made the process, which was a little difficult and uncomfortable just because we were sort of like breaking up with somebody, uh, but it made it a lot easier for them to just take it over. The other thing, um, and again, I, I don't know how broadly this applies, but even after a handoff, I always make myself available for questions because I recognize as much as I try, I'm not going to get every single thing. It's just impossible. Um, so that that can help with a handoff, too, is just a willingness to cooperate and be available. Even if it was a, a client initiating the breakup, if you will, I, you know, I, I take a long term view towards things and I like to be respectful and professional. And so, you know, at no cost, I'll make myself available over email or, or an occasional chat. To, to answer any questions that follow up after the fact, even you know a month or two later, sometimes they crop up. All right, so if I ever need a mobile app developer to fire me, I'll, I'll, I'll look you up. <laughs> okay, perfect, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's another career opportunity there, you know. <laughs> uh, one other question, where do you suggest putting this documentation? I mean, you talk yeah. about a really big readme. Is that the best approach or, or would you put it in a Confluence page or something like that? What do you suggest? 
Yeah, so I, I'm a little uh, GitHub biased. That te tends to be what we used, but the same principles apply, I think, to most hosted source code repositories. So a README for sure, at a minimum, should direct you to where these other resources are. But I think a README is also a good place for the instructions to get a project set up from you know Git clone to running the app. But yes, it, I've had projects, especially longer lived projects, where the read you outgrow the README pretty fast, especially when you get into more of these architectural decisions and and things like that. And so I like using GitHub as has a wiki feature. I know that um, Bitbucket has that as well, and I think GitLab does too. Where it's actually a separate repository, but it's presented in the context in the UI on, on the website of the main code repository. So it's a nice separate place to version things and um, have more structure, like a table of contents. Um, although a lot of these don't have great search tools, I found. Uh, that's kind of a weakness, but um, at least you can clone it and then it's plain text. You can search it pretty easy, but I find that works well. Um, one project in particular, uh, they use Jira and Bitbucket and Confluence. And so because they already had some existing business documentation in Confluence, we went with that. So we just created our own little space in, in Confluence and, and um, a table of contents there. But then it was linked to from the README. You know, the README said, here's how to get this project set up for this, this, and these other types of documentation links directly to the Confluence page. Now, earlier you mentioned credentials, and I don't want to go too far into the weeds here, but just generally speaking, where would you store those uh, if not in a Git repository? Just point people in the right direction. So I personally use uh, 1Password and its Teams feature, and uh, generally we'll use that on the team for those sorts of credentials. But even before that, I feel very strongly um, another place where developers get themselves into trouble during this handoff is they own some of these accounts. You know, they might think, well, I'm doing them a favor. I'll just stick it, I'll stick their repo in my GitHub account. Or, um, you know, they're not really savvy. So I'll, we'll, we'll just put the stuff in our AWS account and, um, you know, we'll bill them for it. And so I, I don't do that. I, <laughs> that I, uh, sometimes clients don't like it, but I, I'm like, no, you have to set up the AWS account, the GitHub org, and here's how to invite me. And I even have, resources they're on our website for anybody to use but resources for how to set these things up step by step how to invite me with you know the, the full level of access but that's the most important part is that the client owns it and um, they grant access to us and i'll even include and down the road if you ever need to remove our access here's how you do it and that's part of the same document um, to, to just kind of give them a sense of security that they're in control but like i, I can't tell you how many projects i've come into where DNS or even owning the domain, like the developer just did it. And again, I, I never assume malicious intent. They were probably just doing it to expedite things or to be helpful, but wow, that's that can be pretty gnarly to untangle, especially if it's ending, if the relationship is ending on kind of a bad note, then there's less uh, incentive for them to cooperate and it, it can be really dicey situation. So, um, so yeah, the, for the day-to-day -day sharing of credentials in a team, something like one password or LastPass, they, they have team accounts. But that first step, make sure the client owns their access first is, is absolutely critical. Is there anything else that you think is worth considering uh, in regard to keeping a project ready for the next person? Yeah, one, one thing I would add, especially if you're on a team, is 
generally these sorts of things are best accomplished if if there's total buy-in from the team you know if if one person on a team of five developers is devoted to documentation but nobody else is that's kind of an uphill battle and that it, it's i mean partial documentation is better than none but it can be pretty discouraging to um to the person trying to do it if not everybody is so what i've found helpful even if there's initial pushback is to make it part of the code review process you know when a, when a pull request comes in and there's a you know a new feature added or something brought into the project to just verify uh, you know on a checklist or something like was this documented was this decision captured somewhere um, in the case of like a new service coming on board were the credentials captured in a place that can be um, you know kept safe by the project lead or the team team lead um, so that there like you said it's not controversial the idea of doing it but sometimes in the heat of development people can be resistant to wanting to do it because we all have more work than we can get done in a day usually or more more work that we want to get done than we can so this if you don't really value this it might seem like extra or kind of a time waster or something i'll do later but working it into even the code review process i found to be helpful as well if people are interested in learning more, uh, I know you have a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, what else? What else do you have to offer that uh, people are interested? If people are interested in, in learning about these topics, yeah, the the podcast is is generally a starting point. Our target audience in mind is uh, a developer working on a team, a product team. You know, so that's that's our focus. But it does apply more broadly. So check that out. Um, the other thing too, I think I mentioned at the top is some of our products. Some are free. Some are paid. Um, but on our website, there's a, a slash products link that you can go to that has that information. And you can even sign up to get notified when, when we publish new things, too. And what's the website address? So nocompromises.io. Uh, uh, the website for the podcast is show.nocompromises.io. But, yeah, that's the, that's the main hub to get access to these different things. Great. And your, your podcast is directed primarily at Laravel developers, but mm -hmm. even though I'm not a PHP developer, I still enjoy listening to it. I think I've only skipped two or three episodes that were very PHP sure. centric. Yep. Uh, so don't, don't turn up, don't, don't turn away from his podcast just because you're not a PHP developer. It's still an interesting show to listen to. Yeah, we kind of have a, a particular audience in mind. And like you said, some episodes veer more heavily in the in the weeds that, that would be more specific. But like even if we're talking about something like validation or things like that, most web frameworks have these same concepts. So we're, we're mainly sharing opinions. Like we're not – a podcast isn't a great way to actually talk about code in the specific, you know. Right. Dollar sign var equal like it, that's not that's not real productive. So it's more principles, opinions, things that we've kind of learned either the hard way or from others in our in our journey as developers. And if people are interested in uh, contacting you, what's the best mm -hmm. way to do that? Probably the easiest way would either be through my my site uh, joelclaremont.com. And uh, that's the French spelling, C-L-E-R, joelclaremont.com. Or my handle on Twitter is jclaremont, same spelling. Well, thanks again, Joel, for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah. And uh, I hope we've encouraged a few people to document their projects. For sure. Maybe it's somebody who's listening today that will hand off a project to me in the future and it'll just all come full circle. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> do you have children in your life? Would you like to be able to more effectively communicate with them about the work you do every day in IT? 
Join me and children's book author Miriam Tosino this Wednesday, June 23, for a free storytelling workshop. We will break down the complexities of our work on servers and software in a way that we can communicate more effectively with children, or for that matter, anybody else who's non-technical. I hope you'll join us. Visit jhall.io slash story for more information. My thanks to Riley Day for the Tiny DevOps theme music.